0: pray amen. amen amen hey if you have a copy of God's word I uh, want you to go ahead and begin to find your way to the book of Isaiah we're going to be primarily in the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah this morning but if you want to begin to go ahead and find your way to Isaiah in chapter 58 and verse 1 if you don't have a copy of God's word likely you can find one in the back of the pew in front of you And if you would like to, we'd love for you to take that home with you. That would be a great gift for you to have so you could have access to God's Word throughout the week. If you're not familiar with how to use that, how to access that, kind of chapters and verses, chapters are going to be the large numbers, verses are going to be the small numbers. If you can't find the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah, there's the table of contents at the front of the Bible. Or if you have a handy-dandy app, they're just listed there for you. And so however you find it, begin to make your way there. So if you're joining us, and and this hasn't been your normal place of worship, uh, over the last several weeks, we've been engaged in this journey towards Easter, and so we began with the idea of creation, and just have have moved through this, and really uh, discovering all the various ways that God is speaking to us through the Old Testament, all the ways that he's revealing to us our need for Jesus, and even showing us how Jesus has been there all along. The answer and the fulfillment of all these scriptures and everything that has been pointed towards from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, the answer always finds itself being Jesus. And so, last week, as we begin to look at the development of the kingship, and so Israel's moving out of having judges, these deliverers, and towards having kings, one of the things that is shown true, at least for the role of kings and what it's supposed to be, is that kings are meant to rule in righteousness and to be a model to the people. And so you have all the men and women in the kingdom, and so what they're doing is supposed to look up to the king, and in the midst of seeing the king, they're supposed to see the king as a reflection of God and his righteousness. Now, if you're reading through 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Chronicles, First and 2 Kings, and these things, you're going to say, well, I'm not seeing a great deal of this. I'm seeing, you know he did these things really well he did a lot of things really poorly and so I'm not seeing a great reflection of God's righteousness I see more and more a reflection of man's depravity man's sinfulness well that leads us to our next person the role of the prophet is to call the people of God to turn from their sins and to come back to God so you see the king there and he's leading the people into paganism he's leading the people into empty religion He's leading the people into sin. And the prophet enters in and he says, uh, Excuse me, Mr. King, I'd like to point out a few inadequacies of the way you're ruling this kingdom. And the king says, Off with his head! And, and, and if, his, if his head doesn't come off, then the prophet's able to spill this out and just say, Listen, you're not revealing the heart of God. You're not revealing the way of God. So you're going to experience the justice of God. Now you and I don't get to experience the prophetic voice in the ways that we see revealed in Scripture. But you and I still experience the prophetic voice. And frequently what happens is we find it in the midst of our sin. And so God's Word being applied to our heart finds us in the midst of our struggles of sin. And so we have, we're have we struggling with pride and we're reading through and God's Word is applying to our heart and calling us out of that pride. Culturally, as a group of people, we see ourselves struggling with the same kinds of sins or we see ourselves struggling against the movement of our culture and occasionally what we hear is a prophetic voice against some sin we would say we don't struggle with and our tendency in those moments is just to dismiss it out of hat instead of asking the question God is there some aspect of me in my life for which this is true and this is what we see being the problem or one of the issues of the people of God as the God's prophet is going forward. So look at Isaiah chapter 58. Let's first give ourselves to the role and provision of the prophet. So the prophet goes out, he's speaking against uh, God's people. He's not walking in and saying... Uh, This is how the culture's messing up, and this is how these people are so terrible, but you guys are so great, and this is why they're so awful. But primarily, the role of the prophet is to call the people of God away from their sins and back to God. So look at what God says of him. Chapter 58, verse 1, he says, Cry aloud, and do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. And so in the midst of this, we have this really accurate understanding of just exactly what this is like, exactly how this comes to be. So in the midst of this, a prophet is not primarily making calm, easy entries into the sin of the people's lives, walking up and saying, "Uh, uh, excuse me, sir, you seem to have some egregious sin, some mild idolatry, some murderous thoughts, and... A smattering of paganism worked into a a general drift away from the Lord. Would you, might you consider, if this isn't too great of an inconvenience, to return to the Lord? Oh, 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 okay. You're not, you're not, okay. Well, let me, let me rephrase. No, the the prophet comes in and his role is to say, hey, this is wrong. This is what God's word says. And you're doing almost just diametrically opposed to it. You are moving in an opposite direction. Stop. The prophet steps in and finds them in the midst of their sin and says, cut it out. No, this isn't what we want. And this isn't what we want in the midst of our sin. And this isn't what we want in the midst of our cultural moment. What we want is somebody to coddle us. What we want is somebody to woo us. You've already been wooed. Christ has your heart. What you need in the midst of those moments is to somebody to come in and to grab you by your scruff, to slap you across the face with your sins and say, stop it. To say you're adulterous, you're racist, you're a bigot. Stop it. You're putting your faith in a nation. Stop it. You're putting your faith in your security. Stop it. Come back to God. You're a gossip. You're a harlot. This is what we need. You hear this and you're like, my ears are ringing, my ears are ringing, my ears are ringing. This is the role of the prophet. It's not wanting to stand in and kind of soft shoe and him haw around and to say, well, you know, golly gee, if this is such a big deal to you, would you consider coming back to the Lord? God says, be a trumpet. Resound, make them hear you. Now, in the midst of this, you'll say, well, the prophet's got to be a terrible job. This guy must not have very many friends, and in fact, he doesn't. So look at the provision, look at the equipping that God gives to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1. Verses 17 through 19. God has told him to go out and essentially you're going to trumpet. You're going to do these things. You're going to say these things to the people. This is what they're doing. This is what you're going to do. And this is how I'm going to protect you. 17 through 19. God speaks to Jeremiah. He says, but you, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them, everything I command you, do not be dismayed by them. Lest I dismay you before them. Essentially, when you go out, you have to say exactly what I tell you to. In our context, we would say that the preacher who stands and says, well, this is kind of what God's word says, but if we want to work around it, we can for sure do that. No, we stand on the authority of God's word. We clearly communicate God's word, and we don't skip over passages that are culturally difficult to address. You don't look at people and say, well, they're a really high giver. Well, they're faithful in attendance. Let me skip over this issue. Because I know in their heart is the issue of pride. I know in their heart is the issue of deceit. I know in their heart is the issue of slothfulness. What does he say? If you betray me, I will dismay you before them. Verse 18. Behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. You're going to come in conflict with everyone. But this is how I'm equipping you. This is how I'm outfitting you. This is how I'm sending you into battle. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. Why? Because you're a really hard worker. Why? Because you don't like friends anyway. Why? Because you're an introvert. No, he says, why? For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. God applies the language traditionally extended to Israel, to Jerusalem, and he applies it to the prophet. He says, you are my vehicle for bringing the people back. This is the centrality of God's word applied in the midst of their sinfulness. We need this. This is why, as the people of God, we have to find ourselves reading and being equipped by the word of the Lord. So that we give God's Holy Spirit a time and and, and an opportunity to work out the sinfulness that clings to us. This is why we, as a people of God, need to find ourselves engaging in the deep and careful study and allowing His Spirit to apply it to to His truthfulness to our hearts. Why? Why? So, when we find ourselves moving and directing towards sin, we are arrested in our progress as His Spirit applies its work in our heart, and He calls us back to the centrality of resting and and finding our sufficiency in Him and finding our complete and utter distaste in sin. You will not find it, you will not long apply it, you will not stand well in your own sufficiency. Your tendency is going to be to surround yourself with people who endorse your worldview, who, who, who accept your sin, and who say, it's okay. We're all the people in progress. We need to be confronted with God's Word. We need to be shaped by God's Word. And we need always to submit ourselves to God's Word. Amen? Let's look at the three failures of Israel. Of course, there are more, but let's look at them in terms of their stubbornness, their empty religiosity, and their idol worship. Flip back again to Isaiah 1. Isaiah 1, verses 2 through 4, the idea of stubbornness, something for which very few men in this room are acquainted with. Their wives demure. Look at 2 through 4. He says, hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Essentially, the heavens and the earth, this thing which God has created, they testify to this. They hear and respond on the basis of this. He says, children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me says, you wouldn't be here if I hadn't raised you. You wouldn't be here if I hadn't spoken in the beginning and created you. You wouldn't be a people if I had not constituted you. From our perspective, we would say we would not be saved if he had not moved towards us in love to redeem us and save us. To pull us up out from our sin. But they've rebelled against me. says, the ox knows its owner and the donkey, its master's crib, but Israel does not know my people do not understand. Isaiah essentially says, what are the two most stubborn animals people frequently find themselves with? Ah, I know, it's the ox and the donkey. Everybody say, he's as stubborn as a... Well, no, no, don't finish that. And we find this to be true. Like, not many of us find ourselves earning our living working uh, with with donkeys and with oxen right raise your hand if this is you that you would have been a great illustration this morning but but this isn't how many of us find ourselves earning our living today but we have come to understand culturally almost universally that these are animals that are difficult to work with but look at the comparison there Isaiah says they're great like they mind they do what they're told they, they they're, they're easy to work with compared to Israel and Israel's is just sitting there thinking, man, I just beat the snot out of that donkey yesterday trying to get it to do what I wanted it to do. And it looked back at me and goes, Ee-oh! And whatever it sound oxen make, it's similar, right? And they're thinking, man, I'm working my tail off to make these ignorant, rebellious animals do to, to, to do what I want them to do. And you're saying they're more pliable. You're saying they're more reasonable than I am. And they find this offensive. Look at how he goes on. He says, A sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged in the midst of their stubbornness in the midst of their waywardness they find their hearts they find their actions to be resistant to the pull the call of god and i would say this is where we find ourselves moving as well we find ourselves engaged in stubbornness. We find ourselves in the midst of being a people of habit and pattern. And when we establish patterns and habits, we do not quickly, readily release those and move into being easily maneuvered and acted upon by the Lord. Over this last year, over this last year, many of us, uh, due to COVID and, and issues with this, one of the things that we have developed is this pattern of inattendance we developed this pattern where it's just I mean it's easier to stay home to watch online it's not that you're scared it's not that your health compromised it's just that you look at this many of us culturally look at this and say it is more fun and enjoyable to watch church in my pjs right this is just kind of the deal I would rather not gather with the people of the Lord because the people of the Lord are difficult and I've got enough difficulties of my own Even though we recognize in Hebrews, he says, do not forsake the assembling together as is the habit of some. We need each other. But we're stubborn and we're stuck in these patterns and we say, I'll be there Easter and Mother's Day. (sighs) Then I'm going to take a nice break till Christmas. Nobody wants to overdo it. I don't want to be a zealot. We are a people who readily fall into patterns. We are people who fall into patterns of attendance. People who fall into patterns of finance and time and acts of mercy. For God says, everything you own is mine, we would say, maybe after taxes and leisure and all these other things, a portion of that is yours, Lord. In our stubbornness, we find ourselves doing what we want and not yielding ourselves to do what God wants. In our stubbornness, we allot all of our time for ourselves, for the people around us, before we give any of that time to the Lord. Instead of saying, Lord, all of my time is yours, how would you have me to use it? We say, God, all of my time is mine. How would you petition my court to give you a portion of it? In the midst of these acts of mercy, We're people so stubborn, so bent on exerting our own will, so bent on on being masters of ourselves, that our hearts are hard before the Lord. And he sets before us opportunities to engage in acts of mercy to people who desperately need our mercy, who desperately need our compassion. But because it doesn't fit with our agenda, because it doesn't fit with our worldview, because it doesn't fit with our conception of right and wrong, because it doesn't fit with our conception of convenience. I don't want to be a part of it. We are stubborn people. Look at Isaiah 58, 2 through 5. Isaiah 58, 2 through 5. Isaiah spoke to people who were excellent at religion look at this isaiah had just previously said you know talk to them about their sins and this is what he says he says yet they seek me daily they delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness they delight this is their pattern of existence They wake up in the morning, they do these things, and in the the afternoons, they do these things. In the evenings, they do these things. If you were just to take a look at them, you'd say, then there's a righteous group of people. Or something, some along those lines. We would say, they do all the right things, they engage in all the right ways, they act as if they were a righteous nation. And they do not forsake the judgment of their God. This is what he says. He says, they ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. No, kind of thinly held below the surface in the midst of these things. Look at this, what he says. He says, they ask of me righteous judgments. Essentially, they do right actions because they want amazing things from the Lord. They come before him and they engage in what is tantamount to empty religiosity because they want great things from God. He continues, he says, Why? Why have we fasted and you see it not? I said, listen, we've been hungry lots. And we're not seeing you move, God. We've skipped a crazy ton of meals, but we don't see it making an impact in the midst of our prayers. He says, Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? God, you know how we just ooze you. In And we tell people that all the time, and they tell us that back. Yes, you are quite humble. Because you tell me it all the time. I'm certain this must be a reality for you. But God, I I just feel like you don't fully appreciate the level to which I'm humble. Do you guys hear me back there? God responds. He says, behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. You oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Occasionally, we find ourselves moving through empty religiosity, attending church, attending Wednesday night, attending prayer meeting, going to a small group, praying and running down through the list of people and reading your Bible rigidly. Why? Why? Not because you want to grow closer to the Lord, but because you want his stuff. You have failed to understand what a relationship with him looks like. He asks, he says, is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast in a day acceptable to the Lord? Empty religiosity. Going through the motions of faith but not yielding your heart to the Lord. All the various ways that we've become so incredibly good at doing this. I got to check in. I'm going to go to this meeting, but I'm going to check in just so people know I'm there. I'm checking in for this, and I'm checking in for prayer meeting. And I, Oh, man, I just want to get a, this sweet setup of my Bible, and like, I'm apple juice right here, and I left my phone over there, so I can't really reenact this, and it's going to kind of like blur people out in the background. I'm calling of like preaching for the word. I haven't got any likes yet. I think it's because of how I titled it. I'm going to edit that and go back to it again. Checking in, we're writing. We're, we want to make sure people know, man, I'm close to the Lord. I'm so close to him. If you could just experience the closeness that I feel to the Lord right now. We share safe sins with people. Y'all, I just I'm really, really wrestle with how humble I am. I think it could be an issue for people around me wanting to be as humble as I am. I just write such big checks to charities. I just give so much time to the Lord. It's so great. I mean, for you to see me doing those things is so great for you to have a model like me that can do these things and give themselves to the Lord. Look at Matthew 6. Look at Jesus' rebuke. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you'll have no reward with your Father in heaven. To prayer, he says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've already received their reward. Empty religiosity would see us go through it and be a perfectly moral and outwardly Righteous people. But to have no heart transformation. transformation, Not to be useful and usable to the Lord. But what God would have us to be. How, how, how he would have us to be as a people. As a people that says to the Lord, Lord, here is all of my heart. Here's all of my time. Here's all of my resources. Lord, I have no margin in my life that I keep from you. Lord, I have no pursuit in my life that I hold back from you. And what we'll find over the long haul, if we continue to pray that, if that continues to be our heart's response before God is that we'll find ourselves yielding increasingly into areas that otherwise we thought impossible. We'll find the miser among us growing in generosity. We'll find the braggart amongst us growing in humility. We'll find the adulterer among us growing in chastity. We will find ourselves moving closer and closer to the heart of God. Because we're not engaged in religion for others. We're not engaged in religious pursuits to get something. We are engaged in fidelity and faithfulness to our God that we might grow in righteousness as that righteousness is a reflection of his glory. must not be those who engage in stubbornness. We must not be those who engage in empty religiosity. Flip over to Jeremiah 2.26. Jeremiah, chapter 2, verses 26 through 28. Jeremiah catches them in the midst of idolatry. Now, Jeremiah is speaking in the midst of the rapid decline of the kingdom, and he's going to oversee their exile into Babylon. He says, as a thief is shamed when caught, so shall the house of Israel be shamed. Essentially, he's saying, your hearts aren't really going to be arrested. You're not going to be truly repentant when you're caught. What you're going to be is sorry that you got caught. In the midst of God's word being applied to our hearts, we see where we are with the Lord and how we respond when we're caught. Valerie and i's prayer repeatedly is that when our kids disobey, when they rebel, that they would be caught. We want them to be discovered in their waywardness. And in the midst of their waywardness, we want them to be not upset that they got caught, but that we want them to be broken, that they have engaged in unfaithfulness to the Lord. And when we're caught when we're confronted and when God's prophetic word finds us in the midst of our sin, if in the midst of these, our immediate response is shame and we stay there in anger that that thing can't continue any, anymore, take this as a significant warning. You are far from the Lord. Your shame will lead you to cover up, your shame will lead you to hide repentance and brokenness will force you to bring it into the light because you recognize that in the light of day and under the light of his glory there is freedom and forgiveness he says this isn't what israel is they're just ashamed they're like this thief standing there with his hands full saying oh it's just moving your tv you want it here okay He says, they, their kings, their officials, their priests, their prophets. This is the depravity they had engaged in. He says, you who say to a tree, you are my father. You who say to a stone, you gave me birth. For they've turned their back to me and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they say, arise and save us. You see, their idolatry had their heart, but somewhere in the recesses of their minds, they knew that the Ashtaroth and the Baals could not save them. So in the midst of enemies coming towards them, they looked towards the heavens, and they said, God, save us. He says, but where are your gods? Where are your gods that you made for yourself? Let them arise and save you in your time of trouble. For they are as many as your cities, your gods, O Judah. What we find in the midst of these things is that they were so incredibly wayward. They were so incredibly engaged in idol worship. That they only ran to God in the times of emergency. We see that same pattern in our lives. The idols in your life are the things that you invest your finite resources in. Your time and your money. God reveals over and over and over again that these are the idols in our lives. Some of us, our idols are are, are our time, and so we're so incredibly regimented in the midst of these things, and so we're unwilling to surrender our time to the Lord. Some of it is our finances, and we're unwilling to submit our finances to the Lord. Some of it is just the idea of control. Now, what would happen if I went before the Lord and said, God, I'm willing to do anything, and he asked me to do something that I didn't want to do? Let me just be honest with you. He's definitely going to ask you to do something you don't want to do. You just go ahead and embrace that fear right now. God will ask you to do something you don't currently want to do. Because he's in the business of heart transformation. He will not leave you as you have come to him. But he will transform you into his likeness. Into his image. What we find is a God rich and steeped in mercy. Pulling us out of idolatry. Christian, surrender the idols of your life. And find yourself only being willing to worship at his throne only being willing to surrender the things in your life to Him instead of the various gods and idols that we've raised up, that we've created in our carefully constructed lives. God uses the voice of the prophet to call us time and time again back to Him. He uses the voice of the prophet to awaken us from our slumber, to shake us free from our sloth. Jeremiah would oversee the demise of Judah, off into exile, and they're there in Babylon, and from Babylon they come back, and then we see Malachi, as the last recorded prophet in the Old Testament, still speaking to them about God's love for them, about their waywardness to the Lord. And after the time of Malachi, there's a gap of 400 years from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And then as God employs the prophet in the New Testament, what we find is that in Luke chapter 3, in Luke chapter 3, in verses 4 through 6, Luke quotes from Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. And this is what John the Baptist arises on the scene. And it says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So what God does in the midst of these things is God raises up a prophet once again. A prophet who is baptizing men and women for repentance. But a prophet whose primary role, whose primary job was to make things ready for Jesus. So John the Baptist is going out and he's pointing out cultural sins in the people. He's pointing out waywardness in the people, saying you are giving up too much ground to prevailing culture. You're giving up too much ground to these things. Come back to the Lord. And so people come up to John the Baptist and say, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? Are you the one we've been waiting on? Are you the Messiah? And John the Baptist says, don't misunderstand who I am. My role is. It's preparatory. And he offers this comparison. He says, listen, I baptize you with water. But the one coming after me, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So we see this distinction between the role of the prophet that God sends to call people back to him and the role of the prophet that God sends to redeem the people. You see, Jesus as a prophet calls men and women back to repentance but Jesus as a priest offers a sacrifice for the people and that sacrifice is himself. Continuing on in Luke in Luke chapter 4 and verses 16 through 21 quoting out of Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 Jesus has been out and he's teaching all in this area and he goes back to his hometown, he goes back to Nazareth and he finds himself in the midst of the synagogue and so they grab out the scroll and jesus walks up and they hand him the scroll and he stands up to read and then in verse 17 it says the scroll of the prophet isaiah was given to him he unrolls the scroll and he founds the place where it is written the spirit of the lord is upon me because he has anointed me To proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus takes the scroll, he rolls it back up, he hands it to the attendant, he sits down and everybody's just doing this number. Their gazes are transfixed on Jesus. Jesus says to them today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing all the prophets testified to Jesus all the work of Jeremiah all the work of Isaiah all the work of Jonah Micah Nahum all the work of scripture the work of the Holy Spirit On the men recording the movement of God. All of these things testifying to the one who would stand and say. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is what God has sent me for. To proclaim the good news to the poor. That stubbornness does not have to be your story. That empty religion does not have to be your pattern. That idol worship does not have to be your way. I proclaim to you good news. I proclaim to you liberty for the captives. I give to you not just physical sight, but I give to you spiritual sight. You see, the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers so that they might not see God. But Jesus, by the power of his word, removes the blinders from their eyes. And he calls them to himself. Jesus sets at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What we recognize is that in the movement of Jesus, he finds a people shackled to sin. In the movement of Jesus, he finds a people dead. In the movement of Jesus and in his ministry, he finds a people carrying the stain of the plague of sin. In the movement and the ministry of Jesus, he finds people moving away from God. The heart that beats for everything but God. And he redeems you. He sets you free. Listen, if you're in here today or you're watching online and you do not know Jesus, the pattern of the world is going to teach you to be moral the pattern of the world is going to teach you to be good the pattern of the world is going to teach you to do the right things and all of this represents common grace But what Jesus says to you is that there is no goodness you can do there is no righteousness that you can attain there is no sacrifice that you might offer to merit and to earn salvation in God's name and so in the fullness of time God brought forth his son to die for you. To to surrender his life for you. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone, each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. If you do not know Jesus, Jesus is the prophet calling you back to God. Jesus is the priest offering a sacrifice for you. And Jesus is the lamb dying in your place. Hundreds of years before Jesus arrived on the scene, this is what Isaiah would say of him. Isaiah chapter 53. He says, Who who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced. For our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed Jesus has suffered the wrath of God on your part Jesus has withstood the justice of God poured out for sins your sins and my sins so that you might come to know God If you are in this hearing and you don't know Jesus and you feel a movement in your heart that says, I'm broken and I need him, recognize this, that it's the grace of God moving upon you. It is not the presence of a guilty conscience. It is not some idea that is conjured in you. It is God's spirit calling you to himself while his voice is spoken to you. Hear and respond. In a moment, we'll have elders out back and they would love to share the gospel with you and to lead you in how you might come to know Jesus, how you might come to be freed from your sins. If you have a sense in your heart that God is calling you to himself, do not delay. Now listen, with the same urgency, if you are a believer and follower in Jesus Christ, and what you hear in the word of the prophet going forward, you recognize some sense of yourself in these things, and you are struggling with them. You say, I find myself engaged in empty religiosity. I find myself engaged in stubbornness. I find myself stuck in the same cycle of sin. I find myself yielding my heart over and over and over again to something other than the Lord grace of God moving you, the conviction by His Holy Spirit is calling you up from your sin. The gospel which has saved you is the gospel that sustains you. Allow the truth of God's gospel to be applied again to your heart. Do not stay in rebellion. Do not stay in sin. Let me beg you, let me implore you Receive once again the favor of the Lord. Allow the joy of the Lord to be the typical experience of your relationship with him. Not the stain of sin. Not the burden of iniquity. think mean, God loves you. He wants you to experience his love unhindered there's a spiritual enemy that would seek to keep you stuck in your sin and in your cycle of rebellion, release it. Let it go. Cast it aside. Be free. Would you pray with me? God, by the voice of your prophet, you delight to do a work in all of our hearts. God, I pray for those who are struggling with what it looks like to follow Jesus and whether or not they're really willing to relinquish who they are to follow you. God, the fact that they're considering those things means that you desire to do a work in their heart. You are calling them to yourself. So God, would you... Empower them to respond to your gospel today. Would you continue to do as you wrote in the gospel of John. To convict them concerning sin and righteousness. They need to exchange their sin for Christ's righteousness. And so God would you lead them to go out and to pray with one of our elders. God as the people of God when we hear the prophet. The prophetic voice come out. We are confronted with our own sin. But it is not your desire for us to stay in our sin, to stay in our sorrow. But it is your purpose, it is your joy for the Christian to experience the time of refreshing that comes from repentance. So God, I pray that you would find us in this time as we prepare our hearts to worship you in song. Confessing our sin to you, confessing our sin to those around us. Seeing ourselves set free once again to experience your joy and delight. Unhindered by the movement of sin in our lives. Unhindered by that, God, to allow us to hear clearly from your Holy Spirit. To hear from you as we study and reread your word. God, help us to worship as a people set free. And a people who delight in freedom. We submit these things to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.